Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Why telling your story matters with my friend, Laura Cayouette. Hi, Laura. Hi. It's so good <laughs> to see you today. And Laura's coming to us, everybody, from New Orleans, one of my favorite cities. And, um, and I didn't tell you that already, but, but I love New Orleans. So, so <laughs> we're going to talk today about how come telling your story really matters and how to do that and ways to feel empowered with it. So we have lots of different pieces of this content coming through in the show. And because Laura is an expert in this, and we've had great discussions about it already. And what I really want to focus on for all of us today is to give ourselves permission to open our heart a little bit more, to open our mind a little bit more, and realize that there's so much depth and richness in the world that we don't know yet. And that when we're inspired by other people's stories or by what people share, it helps us awaken a part of us that maybe we don't even know is there yet, or maybe we feel, but we don't know what to do with it. So I want this show for you, everyone, and for both Laura and I to, to be an opportunity to open up, to really feel deeply into who we are and to give ourselves permission to honor our own story, to honor our road, to honor our walk to honor where we're headed in our story, all of the things about that. So that is the foundation for today's show. So Laura, welcome so much to Someone Gets Me and thank you for coming on to the show with me today and taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about something that I think is so important. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. This is going to be great. And so what I want to talk about first, because you know, you're well known in, in acting, and, and for all of you who don't know, Laura, you can go check out the show notes with an amazing <laughs> bio and all kinds of really neat things. Um, but Laura's been in, I think, 60 or more films and her life is acting, but there's more. It's like all gifted people. There's, but wait, there's more like that. Those are, <laughs> but wait, there's more. Laura also is an accomplished author. Right. And so there's all kinds of other skills going on with with her, not just acting, though I think acting is a really amazing profession. Laura also is well-educated. So she holds a bachelor's and a master's degree, and she has education and giftedness and creativity, and she's had to learn how to use her voice and all of that as a woman in an, in, in an industry that can eat you alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so How'd you get into acting? Like, how did all this start? I'd, I'd love to hear oh my. what inspired you to say, I'm going to get into acting. <laughs> how did that you work? Know, I have a weird story and I always feel <laughs> odd telling this story if I can't look into the faces of the people hearing it, because it's one of those woo woo weirdo stories. And so it's e like when you tell a ghost story, it's easier to tell if like you can see the person and see how the word ghost landed, you know, right, before right. you decide how much of this story to tell. Um, I was, uh, my goals in life were that I was going to um, be a professor and an author and my big, you know, like 
billboard goals were that I wanted to be tenured as a professor. And most importantly, I wanted to be a respected author. And my big dream was to um, win the National Book Award. And uh, for my one and only book, I have written eight now, but I thought I would only write one and it would be Lemonade Farm and I would win the National Book Award. And that would be the end of my journey of having to figure out what to write and how to write. Um, that is not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I'm going, okay. That said, that said, I did become an author. I did become a professor. It just didn't all lay out the way I thought it would. Um, and it isn't how I support myself. Um, I was, at, before my acting career began, I was a, a homeowner and I had just finished my master's and I was gearing up to start my doctorate. And um, I was modeling in New York. Uh, I had three jobs and that was my third. I was teaching college at night, I was teaching English. And, um, and I was running a dress shop. And so I'm at a modeling gig in New York and I'm coming home on the train and I had my head registered against the window and I'm just watching the world go by. And I heard a voice and the voice said, you're supposed to be an actor. Now, I don't know whether that was my voice letting me know what I had always known and didn't know that I knew or whether that was some spiritual awakening uh, I, though, do say that I was called to acting because that was a call and I answered the call. So acting is not my love or uh, it, it, it's my calling. It called to me. And so that's how I got there. <laughs> now, as far as being successful as an actor, like being a working actor, that's because I wasn't a dreamer. I didn't grow up dreaming of being famous or dreaming of being a movie star, dreaming of, you know, People Magazine or what. I didn't have those sorts of visions for myself. And so when I figured out that I was supposed to be an actor, um, I had a very extremely practical approach to it. And that's why I'm a working actor is because I'm extremely practical about everything. And, and, I applied all my pragmatism to the acting field. And I said, it's not a common story, but there is one other person with the exact same story. She was a model. She heard a voice and the voice said exactly the same words. You're supposed to be an actor. And that was Renee Russo. Nice. Well, all I'm hearing is, okay, that means that your soul has a higher purpose that your, your vision, what is supposed to happen through you comes through in multiple ways. An actor is a big piece of it, which makes, yeah. total sense. it makes total sense to me. See, I don't think it's woo woo at all. I think it's totally, <laughs> I, think, I think you had to have your head leaning against the glass, watching the world go by to get your ego enough out of the way to hear the voice that if you had had your head up, like I said, you, I, it you, matters not to me, whether it was a voice from inside or a voice from outside, it doesn't, you know, people ask, Oh, was it a female voice? None of that is material. And the answer is no, it was just a voice. It wasn't mine that I recognized, but it was just a voice. And, and so for me, it's immaterial, all the how and what, and what, what, what matters is that when I heard it, I listened, it rang true enough to me that I thought it was worth listening to and paying attention to and exploring. And I think that's, 
I think you're right. We all have voices that tell us many things, uh, whether that's intuition or your gut or, or your mom or you know, whoever. We all have voices telling us things. And, and it's a matter of what you choose to tune into. You know, thinking of, the, of those voices as like radio stations. And I get to decide which one I'm going to tune into and listen to and dance to. Right. And, it's, and, and you also took it a step further and you said yes, and you took action on it. You didn't just hear it and listen to it and go, well, that was interesting and keep on going. You took action. And that's the pra- practical part of you that could go about, about it in a, in a strategic manner versus just like, yeah. that, you know, out there. But I think it's the saying yes and the action and the work ethic that take that voice and make it something. Yeah, work ethic is important, uh, no matter what your job is. I've had a lot of jobs in my lifetime, starting at, uh, I think I was 11 or 12 when I was shoveling horse poop uh, at a next door farm. So, uh, you know, I've had lots of jobs starting there. And 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 I guess there are some who would argue that that's still what I do is shovel horse poop. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, um, it doesn't matter what job I have, whether I'm working the drive-through window at Roy Rogers or whether I'm, you know, walking a red carpet for a big dollar movie. I think all of it, if it was worth doing, then it matters on some level. And so I treat it as if it matters. Yeah. And I am one of those old school, any job worth doing is worth doing well kind of people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's, there's great value in that. And I've had a lot of guests on someone gets me where we're talking of musicians, all different kinds of people. And it all comes down to, in so many different parts of the conversation of the work ethic and the devotion and the time, and that it's not magic, that it really takes focus and desire and drive and saying yes, hard thing consistently over and over again. And that nobody who is has any type of success in whatever field they're in. It's not accidental. There's no, no, I, I, I write a lot about that in my acting book about it, you know, that it's, I mean, at the end of the day, there are things that separate you from the person sitting on their couch, dreaming of having your life, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. And you have to figure out what those things are and be willing to do them. It, it is, uh, it takes nothing to say, I want to, um, be an MVP in the NBA, but imagine what it takes to accomplish being an MVP in the NBA. Right. That's a whole nother conversation. So I want to talk a little bit about our stories. All of us have our own stories. And, and, and it's interesting because um, there are the people in the world who say, well, you want to not, you want to release a story and not have a story. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about honoring our own journey and honoring our story. So um, the, the, the context is not, the healing part where we have to get rid of the victim story in order to survive. We're not talking that everybody, we are talking about honoring our personal story, our personal journey, and how come telling that story is important. So will you say a little bit about how you approach valuing a story? So if somebody came to you and they said, Laura, I don't really understand like why you're saying this is so important. It's really not on the important. We get up, we do our thing, we come home and we do it over and over again. And then we're dead. And like, I don't get the point. And so if somebody is saying that to you, what would you say to them to help them see that there is great value in telling their story? 
Well, I think first that to, I think first I want to recognize that there's more than one kind of storyteller. I myself am an actor, which is one version of storytelling. I'm an author. That's another version. I'm a filmmaker. That's another version. There, there are many ways, whether you're a YouTuber, what, you know, there are many ways to tell your story and those of others that you have access to. So I, I think some people get caught up in the idea that if you're not a writer, you can't tell stories. And that is just not, that's not how it works. If you have a story, you get to own your story. And the reason for me that that, that is of such value is almost hard to articulate in so far as that I've felt it my whole, I've never not thought I had a story to tell, but it has evolved over time what that meant to me. When I was a small child, I was immediately, I knew very young that I was a writer. And when I was 11, I moved into a commune. Actually, technically it was a collective because we didn't pool our money. Um, but I lived in a collective with five adults, five children, and three kids that would come every other weekend. And when I lived there, it was 1976, you can go ahead and do the math on how old I am now. And um, I knew at the time that I was having a totally unique experience, that I was living a story that was worth sharing, and that that story deserved good telling. And so for me, I held that story in my heart as precious and as a motivation for my entire existence of like i am i was put on this planet to tell the story of lemonade farm and i got my master's degree in creative writing in order to earn the right to be the one to tell that story and and i honestly one reason that it took me 20 years to write that story is because i kind of got wrapped up in the idea of that when i was finished telling that story my life would no longer have purpose. And so for me, storytelling and, and purpose are sort of, you know, it's hard for me to, to believe I have to explain why stories are so important. That said, um, for me, the value, uh, it, it, it's coming from a lot of places. Number one, yes, we're here for a brief time. We put one foot in front of the other, and then we pass and we move on. But there's an old Jewish saying that whenever a person dies, a library is burned. And I hate to think that somebody would have to make the same mistakes I've made just because I didn't get to tell them, oh, oh, make a left at that corner. If you go right, there's nothing but potholes, you know, <laughs> like, right, right. I, right. My experiences have value. My experiences, um, might save you some trouble, might help you on your journey, or at the very least might let you know somebody else went on that journey. When I read that Renee Russo had also heard that voice that said the same thing, think how comforting that was for me. Right. I thought I might be the only person in the history of the world that was told to go be an actor by a train voice, you know, <laughs> and the <laughs> fact that she had the same story made me feel safer on the planet, it made me feel less of a unicorn and more like Okay, I have a rare story, not an untellable, unlivable, bizarro land story. <laughs> right, right, right. That's exactly, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Right? Right. So, and then there's the other, the other side of it is that so many of us have a unique gift, whether it's you're the best plumber in your city, or whether it's that you're the one that figured out how to perforate toilet paper, you have contributed something. 
Maybe it's your parenting skills. Maybe it's your gardening, maybe whatever it is. Maybe, maybe you just only figured out how to save three minutes driving the turnpike. But whatever you have figured out in your life is worth telling at least one person and passing that down, paying that forward. I mean, if that weren't true, we wouldn't have so many memes with life hacks. You know, I mean, we value as a culture, we value life hacks of, oh, I can tell you how to do that one minute faster or one inch better or, you know, and we value that. So if you've lived a life, you probably have some life hacks, you know, you probably have some information worth sharing. So if you're sucking air and you're here, if you're sucking air and you're listening to Laura right yeah. now, that you have a story, period, no matter what you think. Well, then here's something I'm going through right now. Uh-huh. That's to me, every, every family should have this discussion. Every, every gathering of people should have this discussion. And actually even more so people should reach out to people who are singular on the planet and see what they have to share with us. I think that every person has a book in them and that every person should write it down. Now that could be on a video. It could be, you know, like I said before, it doesn't have to be literally a book. For me, it's a book. I mean, that's, you know, that's my chosen field, but, but it doesn't have to be for everybody. But for example, um, my uncle is a designer. He's retired now. He lives in Thailand. He is a fashion designer and he was born in 1938, a gay man in South Louisiana. And at three years old said, I'm going to be a fashion designer. Now, don't ask me why a three-year-old boy in Southern Louisiana knows even what a fashion designer is, but then he became one and he was uh, successful in New York. And then he got hired by the queen of Thailand. And then he ran the Jen Thompson silk company in Thailand, you know, and then, and then, and then like Forrest Gump, like this amazing story of that. He met all these people. He did all these things. Somebody wants to know that story. (laughs) You know, somebody wants to know it. And even if it's only his niece, don't I deserve to have that story? He has no children. Mm -hmm. So don't I deserve to hear that story just because I I'm interested Mm -hmm. So I want him to write it down. I want him to tell it so that I can have it. And right now my, um, my mother, his sister is in the hospital and things are scary right now. And one thing that is of comfort to me is that no matter what happens last year, I made her write down her stories. And so she Another cousin of mine turned it into like a book with a cover picture and chapters and all that. So no matter what happens, we now have my mother's story as she wanted to tell it from her childhood through now and what she valued, what she cared about, what she remembers, who she cared about, all that stuff. So that's one aspect is that I do believe that even if it's only your niece or your child or there's somebody that wants to know what it was like to be you. What do you want to share about what it was like to be you? And I, I even, uh, I will tell you, my aunt wrote a journal of her first year as a widow. I took that journal and turned it into a self-help book for widows. So I found it so valuable that I thought all widows could use it. And then I happened at the time to be going through a divorce and I found it super useful for myself 
for that kind of loss, even though it was a very different kind of loss. So that's one thing is that autobiographical things I think are important to share at the very least with those who know you care about you love you and, and want to have you in their lives forever and know your story better. I think also in those cases familial cases and all that it helps you to know yourself better when you find out what you come from and what the people in your family valued and well and, well and also there's there's a universal truth in it right because we can take one kind of story like helping widows but then also helping with divorced people and then the grief and even though it's different there's there are common threads in human existence yeah. and in human expression and so we can take some of the same stories and the same ideas and then they have application in other places. Yeah. And so I think so so often in our culture, and especially since COVID, when there's been a lot of siloing and, and separation, we think we're the only ones going through something. Yes. We think we're the only, it's only happened to us. Or we're the only yeah. ones that know. Like my nephew, when he was three, announced he was going to be a pilot in the military and he's in the army. And how do they know that? They just know. He knew. And I'm like, okay. And I believed him. And, and he's now doing what his, his exact calling that he said from the time he was really little. So it's true and, and it's beautiful. So now I, now I want to kind of segue this a bit into um, using our voice, because one of the things that I, that I have seen a lot in the people I've worked with in, in my work, but I see it elsewhere too. And I've experienced it is the potential fear of shame or not having permission to tell the story. Um, I remember that my mom, my grandmother was a, um, a well-known writer. She wrote under a pen name because she wasn't allowed to write those kinds of novels. They were kind of like Harlequin romance kind of things. And you didn't do that in the twenties. And as a woman, and she was married to a military officer. So she had to use a pen name, like all these things. So she found a way to tell her story, but she couldn't tell it authentically in her own, right. voice, in her own way because of the world. So how do, how do we help people get into being able to use their voice. Now you have, to, you had to learn how to do this in acting, but also in writing and in filmmaking. So, so give us some tips. If somebody's listening to you and going, yeah, that's great. You have a voice and you're an actor and you know how to talk, but I don't, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know how to say my truth. Well, and, and I think the first thing we have to do for people is to define what that means, your voice, because obviously as an actor, I'm using a, you know, a writer's words about a character that I am not, whose story I don't have. So, so what does that mean when I use my voice in that character? So your voice is not just your experience. It's not autobiographical in the same way as we were just talking about a minute ago. Your voice is a, it, it boils down to two things. It is your coding, like what you care about, what you are pointing to, what you live about. And, and then it's also your style. It's the way you see things. It's the, it's the colored lens you choose, you know, um, whether that be rose or poop or whatever, you know, that there be uh, a way you see the world that maybe your voice is very cynical and, or maybe your voice is very lighthearted or, uh, you know, whatever that is that you're trying to spread that some people might call it branding or whatever, but I would say just your style, your way of seeing things. Um, and that, that is in keeping with your code, what you care about, what it is that you want to have the world have more of. Um, so for me, my voice 
is unique from uh, my stories. You know, my stories might not be like when I'm an actor, I'm not telling my story. Right. But I am still using my voice because I'm choosing, I'm using the choices that I, what would I do if I had grown up this way and made these choices and ended up in this position? Right. So, um, so that's one thing to get clear about is what is your voice is, is that it's, it's not just your stories. As a matter of fact, it might have nothing to do with your stories. It's how you see things and, and the way you want to put that out there. Well, I think it also has to do with our permission to put yes. it out there. Yes. And right. permission is a huge thing. I, I, um, I believe that, and, and probably more so with women, but, but all of us have this, uh, thing where we're sort of waiting for somebody to tell us that it's okay to, to be us. And then sometime around 40 or 50, we quit waiting (laughs) and just start being us, you know, now there are many people who figure that out a lot younger, but I'm just making a generalization that, you know, a lot of us are still like waiting for the permission slip. So I'm just going to go ahead and and write it. And there you go. Uh, You now have permission to be yourself in your own way as long as you're not hurting anybody, um, I don't see why you wouldn't just own your selfhood and, and be who you are now. This is not the dress rehearsal. This is your one and only life. So get busy living it. Okay. So everybody just got permission. The permission (laughs) has just been given to us. So if you're listening to us on audio only, I saw her write it down. And, Uh (laughs) And so we have it. And now you have permission to actually use your voice and come forward with whatever is important to you, whatever matters. I learned this with Shirley MacLaine. I had a really a big moment with, in my very first job as an actor. Uh, Shirley MacLaine was supposed to, in the scene we were doing, she was supposed to be a, in this particular scene, she was supposed to be a background actor. She was just in the audience. We're shooting a, a it's a movie, but we're shooting a TV show in the movie. And Shirley MacLaine is in the studio audience of the TV show. Did that all make sense? Yep. You made perfect sense. So so all she has to do is we do a scene, all, you know, me, Juliette Lewis, all that. We do this scene. And then when the scene is over, Shirley MacLaine just has to clap. That's the scene. Then somebody yells cut. Okay. So the very first take, I realized, oh no, that is not what's going to happen. Because from the very first take, after we did our scene and she starts to clap, she created a story around the clapping, around her reaction. She started engaging the people around her. She started, she, she take after take after take, it got more and more elaborate until it was very clear by the end that what was going to happen to that scene, which is exactly what happened. We say three lines and then cut to Shirley MacLaine turning this entire scene into a thing about a grandmother clapping. And so I was left with one word and my word was bye (laughs) because it was the end of the scene. So I watched that and I'm sure there are people that that would have been very disheartening for, especially as a, you know, my first job and all that. I was fascinated because she was a background person and she gave herself permission to steal the entire scene right out from under us. And so I learned that from her. I watched her do it and I learned from her, not just how to steal the scene, but like that you have permission to do that, that you can give yourself permission 
to own your your piece of land. And so now as an actor, you know, I can't go around doing that to everybody. But the next time that that came into play, I I was in a scene where I only had a few lines and the star was one of the stars. And he kept trying to get my lines cut and back me up off my spot and all this. And I finally, he, he confronted me and I just went, effing earn it. You know, I let him know of the, if you want me to be cut out of the scene, you better be better than me. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I just got from Shirley. of like, if you have earned your space, own your space, own it take it, take up your space. Now don't take up other people's space, but take up the space that you've been allotted fully. And I just didn't know you could do that. And watching her do that was like this epiphany of, oh, nobody's going to walk out and give you a permission slip in the middle of everything. You have to decide and, and make the choice of that. I'm going to dare to fail here. I'm going to dare to get um, reprimanded. I'm going to go ahead and I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission in that particular instance. And I, and I also owning it. And I think, I think what you're saying, and I love the story that you shared about Shirley MacLaine and, and about that subsequent thing from you, because what I hear for a lot of people is, Oh, tell your story. Oh, it's take you for your space, all that. But it's a cognitive comment. And so the, the practical application, I think sometimes people go, well, what do you mean by that? How does that right. work? And how, how does it look? Well, Shirley MacLaine was being Shirley MacLaine. And it didn't matter whether she was the star or a supporting actor or wherever right. she was, she was being her authentic self that then created a thing. Like she yes. wasn't trying to harm somebody or hurt anybody. She was just being herself. Because she truly is all that and a bag of chips. And if she lets her light shine, it shines so brightly that it blots out some of the others of us. And that's hard, but it's also her. That's her voice. And though I think what's important here too, is that that experience gave you, Laura, permission to shine your light brighter. Yes. Yes. And I believe, and I think Martin Luther King Jr. even said this, that only light can take care of the darkness, can get rid of the darkness, right? Yes. So um, I talk about all of us gifted people being lighthouses all the time and that we're here to crank, oh, I love that. to crank up the light. So, and to be our bright selves with respect to the boundaries of other people, like you said, but also to say, okay, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. Let our light shine, like really, whether it's in writing or in film or in acting or in day-to-day life at the grocery store, saying hi and being friendly to the people around us. My mom says when you're surrounded, if you're in a boat and you're in the ocean and all around you are drowning, everywhere you look are drowning people, you cannot stop to pick up even one because they will tip your boat. What you have to do is be a beacon and lead them to shore. Correct. Now that said, my mom stops to help people all the time, but that, but that is a, that is a philosophy that makes a lot of mathematical sense at the very least. And, and it, it understands that self-care and, and drawing your boundary and all that are, are part of owning your voice and part of being a voice. Yes, absolutely. So what do you do for your own self-care? What do you do to take care of Laura? You have a lot going on in your life. 
and you live in New Orleans right there. There's an energy thing there. That's really fun and cool and neat and Mardi Gras and this and that and the French Quarter. And and it's an amazing city. So what do you do to take care of you? I mean, you have a very busy, active, productive life. I do. Um, I, my husband and I like to go for walks. And of course you just mentioned, I live in a magnificent city. So, uh, going for walks is always a joy. You see something new every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you just can't imagine what you might come across in a regular walk around this city. Um, I am disciplined about my health. I, um, I try not to have anything interrupt that I sleep and eat and that I move my body. So I, I try and walk several days a week. I do deep stretching two days a week. I do arm weights two days a week. Like I do everything in moderation, just keeping my body moving, keeping everything going. And, uh, that, that helps me to, not have my body be the thing that's on my plate and, um, you know, not have health issues because those can cause way more stress than other issues. And they can actually interfere with your ability to do everything else. So I put that pretty high on the list of self-care is take care of the body and the body takes care of a lot of other things. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's, that's big is eating and sleeping and <laughs> caring for yourself and making your body move. Right. Um, I also, I, I do believe in journaling. I think journaling is important. I just um, got introduced to EMDR therapy. Mm-hmm. I hadn't tried that before. That I find to be fascinating, right. brain spotting and all that whole universe. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm trying that and I, I'm finding it uh, really helpful. So, um, you know, I think the thing about self-care is that it's, each of us value different things that make us feel cared for. Like I love a hot bath Mm -hmm. and I have a desk for in my tub so that I can be in my bath for hours at a time. (laughs) And I think that for me is, is is extraordinary self-care. It makes me feel so spoiled for somebody else. That's like, man, take a bath. So, you know, that wouldn't be self-care for somebody else. So I guess what I would say to others is find things that bring you peace and give them to yourself. Yes. And, and I also like to, to remind people that radical self-care, as I call it, is about taking ourselves preemptively that when we burn out or we're really exhausted and we do something nice for ourselves and we call it self-care, that's really recovery. That's not self-care. That's called recovering from whatever we weren't taking care of. That self-care, like taking care of your body or moving or whatever, that radical self-care is caring for ourselves in order to not have the burnout happen. Um, If we're waiting till there's an emergency to take care of ourselves, that's called recovery. That's why I'm very careful about my body, because that takes more time for recovery than other stuff. You know, um, we have weather problems here and we, we often have issues with power or water or, you know, other things that people can take for granted. And, and that can take a while to recover from, but the second they turn the power back on, you're up and running again. Whereas the second your surgery is over, you still have weeks, you know, like you, you're not just, okay, I'm out, I'm back. No, when things happen to your body, it can take a a lot out of you for a long time and mess with a lot of stuff. 
Right. And sometimes the road to get to the point, that point also can create things. So I think of it as the person is the, is the, the brain is the, the person and the body is the car. And so you got to maintain your car. Right. Yes. You do have to maintain your car and you have to maintain your, your mind too. I think it's like all, absolutely all one, like it all has to go. So if somebody's listening to you right now and they're really like excited about telling their story and bringing their voice out and, and, and I kind of imagine it like deciding I'm going to take a stand and like take up my space instead of playing small. Like I'm going to actually like be in my space. Um, I want to tell everybody that there's all kinds of links in the show notes to programs that Laura has, things, resources she has for you, and also a special gift. We're going to get to that here in a minute. So there's all kinds of things that she, she gave me way more than most people do of all the neatest things that she's doing. Like I was going through the clicking through going, I love this. Oh my God, this is fun too. Oh my God, I really love this. And so if you're interested in story or writing or having your voice or any of those kinds of things, and you're really loving what she's saying and you're loving Laura's energy, like I am, then go to the show notes and check out all the links and all the information there, because this podcast would go on for five hours if we were trying to cover all of those links in it. And we're not going to, cause you can go <laughs> and click on them yourselves. So that all being said, when you think of, when I think about your work and all that you've put into all of your work, all of it, how do you see your work serving the greater good of our culture, of our society of humans? You know how there's people who say I, I, um, I advocate locally. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some people who think globally, but they, they advocate locally. I think globally. And then I start with myself. I start with, if there's one girl out there, just like me, then she can know that she's not the only unicorn in the field. And then I expand from there. Well, I'm going to go ahead and assume that there's one girl out there like me because I'm here. So there must be, you know, they didn't break the mold. There's another one out there somewhere. And maybe it's a boy, maybe it's a girl, maybe it's, you know, but whatever it is, there's a person out there like me who has the same questions I had and the same needs and desires and, um, and the same confusions and, and, uh, and feelings of isolation and loneliness. And, and so that's, that's who I write for at first is the person who is feeling the way I felt. And then I write for those who I met along the way. Um, and that, that actually usually is what determines what I write next is the people I meet along the way. Uh, when I wrote my book on acting, that was inspired by sitting backstage um, with the background cast at Django Unchained. When I was doing Django Unchained, uh, my downtime lined up a lot with the people who were playing the house slaves and most of them were local hire. And so they were non-union. This was their first job or their third job or whatever. And they had so many questions and they were so easy for me to answer. And I thought, well, Laura, if, if this is just something you have in your back pocket that you can throw around like confetti, why don't you, why don't you just tell everybody everything you learned? And the first reaction I got when I put no small parts out was everybody that was, you know, in my community, were all like, I can't believe you told the truth. And my reaction was, I can't believe nobody else did. Right, right. I read decades of books and I found lots of interesting information, but I never found anybody that was going to tell me 
how to do this life. You know, everything from when do you move to LA? When do you join the union? All that kind of stuff to how do you get a free dress for the red carpet? You know, all those things that are like a normal part of an actor's life. I just didn't ever find any of that practical stuff. And so, so I wrote that book that I had been looking for, for all that time for all, of course, for the me who was looking for it, but also for all those people that I met backstage that I could be of service to. And I thought, well, there must be tens of thousands of people just like this sitting on sets all over the world who I could just say, Psst, you do it like this, you know? Right, right, right. And so by passing on your voice and your knowledge and your understanding, it's, it's a pay it forward kind of keep the flow going and it serves all of greater humanity. It serves all of us. Yes. And when Me Too happened, I realized, oh, I have to write a second edition of that book because you know, technologically our industry moves forward very quickly anyway. So you need to update anyway. But I realized that a post me Too world was like a brand new thing that we needed to talk about. And, and I didn't find one acting. I believe I am still the only acting book out there that has any chapter at all on me too, which is crazy given that it affects 94% of the women in our union, 94% of the women in our union report having had some experience of harassment at work. And it also affects the men and the children who also have been harassed at work. So given that I'm like, why is my book the only one? But I wanted to speak directly to those people who either have walked a mile or are trying to avoid a mile in those shoes. Here's some resources. Here's what you can do if you witness it. Here's what you can do if it happens to you, et cetera. Because I think that if it happens to 94% of women, you should have that information going in. You would think so. And the cool thing is, is that you approach it like you were saying earlier in the show with being practical. Yeah. And this is the how to's and the whereabouts and all those things. And I think the practicality, in addition to just seeing that it's a, something that's necessary, those things go together really well because sometimes people want the practical and it's really easy to get caught up in theory, but sometimes we just we need the practical. Do this, do this, don't do that. Step over here, look this way, all those kinds of things. Well, that's my voice. I'm an explainer. I like explaining. Yeah, that's so. <laughs> but I think that's so important. So I have a few other questions. And one is, okay. um, what is your most memorable food that you've ever eaten anywhere? You know, you can't ask a New Orleanian that, right? Well, <laughs> I've had several people name restaurants in New Orleans. Well, I'll bet they have. But if you live here, it's very difficult to say, because honestly, you could go to a gas station here and have better food than you've had anywhere else in the world. Um, well, I said memorable food. So it doesn't. Yes. Really so, well, and so I'll give you a memory. Um, the food itself is is only like the toy in this uh, story. But for me, the most one of one of the more memorable moments with food I have is when I was living in that commune when I was um, a kid and it was, you know, the bicentennial year and everything. We were all sitting out on the porch. So there were I think there were 13 of us there that day because the kids that were there every other weekend were there and um, and we had watermelon. And so we're all outside eating watermelon and it's dripping all down our elbows and stuff. And because we're outside and because we're kids and it's the 70s and whatever, we're being very free with spitting the seeds. <laughs> and for a kid, that was that was memorable. I was a I was a southern 
kid raised with Southern manners and values. And, and so the idea that I would be allowed to go, (laughs) (laughs) you know, without going, Oh, excuse me. So I'm so sorry. You know, like that was, that was memorable for me. The, (laughs) and we could spit them at each other and stuff too. Like you didn't have to be polite. We had a pool where you could hose off, whatever. Oh, that's wonderful. I have that vision in my head. That is, that is a good one. That is a very, very good story. Um, and now I want to mention to everybody, I want you to tell everybody about the, the gift that you have that we're that we have all the links in the show notes, but explain the gift that the 20% off in the gift really briefly for people so that they understand that um, there's all kinds of resources that Laura has, has for us. And, and I'm really thank you for, on behalf of all of my listeners that, that you have brought a gift because I, many people don't do that. So I'm very grateful. And, <laughs> well, um, like I said, I'm a Southerner. So. <laughs> so there you go. So talk a little bit about the gift that you have for everybody that they can find in the show notes. Well, so I, uh, two of my books are available off of Amazon. So I have a lot more control about how, um, how I price them, et cetera. And so I was able to offer a coupon for both Writing Unblocked, which is my ebook that, um, it, the subtitle is how I went from writing one book in 20 years to five books in four years. And basically I take everything that I learned from my masters and all my path as a classic literature author. And then everything I learned from, um, being in the film community, producing screenwriting and taking, uh, three and a half years of, uh, courses in screenwriting and film production there, um, I've taken all of that and melded it together into a repeatable, nearly infallible process for you to take any one sentence idea and turn it into a book or a movie or a screenplay or whatever. But any idea you have in your head, you can now turn into a book. And it works with people who have a variety of different learning techniques, whether you're on the spectrum or whether you're, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at about the way you learn or the way you process information and creativity, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really proud of it because I I use it for everything. I don't just use it for writing. I even use it for life decisions and stuff. Um, (laughs) Right. Well, because it's about distilling things down and getting to an essential of what is exactly the story and what order does it go. And, and it does all that in a way that for me is fun, because if it's not fun, I'm not going to want to do it. I'm at least going to put it off, you know? So I had to make my techniques fun for me. Now, not everybody agrees with me on what's fun, but I, I think these are really fun techniques that keep you creatively and intellectually stimulated throughout your entire journey. And basically what I do is I write the entire book before I write one word. So I already know everything that's going to be in the book before I write one word. And so that makes the writing part just basically typing. It becomes way easier and I never have writer's block. It's just, it's just not a part of my life. And so that's, that's writing unblocked. And then the, the um, course that, that I've, uh, just finished um, is called Creating Characters. And that's again for writers, although it can be useful for actors and other people. But Creating Characters is a six video course that um, if you don't have your create your characters created after that, you can get your money back. I have a guarantee. So uh, it will help you do what I did, uh, create a character. You know, I had the whole commune worth of people in that first novel 
And so that's where I started from. And then by the time I get to my mystery series set in New Orleans, I have cast of hundreds and they are real people, fictional people all mixed together. There's different accents, uh, backgrounds, faiths, um, races, whatever. And I am trying to tackle all of them equally well, which of course is a lofty, lofty, lofty goal. But the techniques I use again, are taking everything I know from writing and everything I know from the film industry and marrying them so that you get these like supercharged brainstorming techniques. And that's cool. Yeah, it's great. I, I can't write without these techniques now. This is how I do it. And people ask me all the time, how do you do that? How do you put out this many books? Like that? That's how I do it. So the gift is the coupon for 20% off purchase of either one of those items or both of those items. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for doing that. And, and again, if you're interested in that, or you just want to check it out, the coupon code is in the show notes along with the links. And there's other links in there too, where you can follow yes. Laura on social media and check out our website, all kinds of rich, deep resources that are available to you. That's, that could be its own study altogether. Like it, we could go <laughs> on forever, but I'm also paying very close attention to the fact that, you know, we um have a time that we do. You want to do so i have one last question of course and okay. you also know what the question is because you listen to my podcast and the question <laughs> is this if you were going to have a billboard that your quote was going to be on for the whole world to see what would that quote be i'm going to go with dare to fail i i live by that i teach that i sign it when i sign books i dare to fail and i i guess because to me it's what separates it separates the people who sat, sit on couches and say, one day I'm going to this, one day I'm going to that, from the people who attempt to do the things that everybody else is talking about doing. And even in the attempt, I find dignity and valor. And it matters less to me who succeeds in their attempts than it does. I mean, life is what happens while you're making other plans, but make a plan. Be about something. Do something. And take you know? out. Yeah. And, and. I think that some of us, the only way we can figure out how to do it the right way is by doing it 18,000 the wrong ways first. And then others of us, it's just the fact that it could all be at your fingertips if you would just reach out. So whatever the reason, whatever's holding you back from trying something is probably crap. <laughs> it's probably a lie your mind tells itself to keep you safe and in your comfort zone. And as Shirley MacLaine once said, you know, you have to go out on the limb. That's where all the fruit is. That's where it is. That's where it is. Well, thank you, Laura, for being on the show with us today. And thank you for sharing so much wisdom and, and so many interesting stories that were really, really good. And I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. All right. Remember, everybody, keep your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You are here on purpose with a mighty purpose. And so go out there, take some action and let your light shine. Until the next episode, if someone gets me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening. <laughs>